we'll get to another one in just a little bit. But as you think on these, I'd like to think first of the, the, uh, the New Testament Gospel lesson, then we want to go to the Old Testament lesson. So we think on these, the first thing we have is the woman who had this flow of blood. Then we have Jairus and his daughter. And then we have the Old Testament lesson in Lamentations. And so there's three things that I want, I want us to think about. Is what do you do in the middle of your distress? What do I do in the middle of my distress? And of course, it kind of depends on what the distress is, right? Because if the distress is something that, I've, that I think I should have done better, then I get down on myself. Mm. You ever do that? The distress is, I don't feel quite right right now. Is there anybody like me that starts thinking back to the last days, thinking, oh, what did I do that caused this? What did I do that caused this? Because there's just something about us that we like to assign blame. <laughs> I do something, oh, no, but that person fed me. That was a bad thing. Oh. I don't know about you, but uh, there's a little part, I think, in all of us that, that sometimes we like to blame ourselves, but more, if I can blame somebody else, excellent. <laughs> that's my favorite. That removes the guilt from me and puts it on someone else. What do you like to do in the middle of your distress? My hope is that what we like to do is trust Jesus. Can we say those two words together? Trust, trust Jesus. Jesus. So we have in the first lesson is this woman, and we're going to go in to talk more about her. So there's three things with the, the woman, then Jairus and his daughter, and then the Old Testament lamentation. So first what we have is we want to turn to God to trust him, then we want to stay with God to trust him, and then we want to return to God to trust him. So we want to turn, stay, and return to God. So we want to turn to God first. So the woman, she's got this flow of blood, and, and she, she's a woman of some means because she's been to all these doctors. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't be normal in those days. Okay? Not anybody could go see all these doctors. She had to be a person of some means. And so as those means, she used them all, trying to find some sort of healing and couldn't get it. So she turns to Jesus. She's like, well, none of these things work. I've heard of him. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to turn to Jesus. That's good for us too, right? There are times, you know, when we, we have things going on with our bodies, we want to turn first to those who are the medical professionals, say, help me with this. And then when those things don't work, then it's just appropriate for us to say, you know, I need to go where I always need to go to the one who is the ultimate healer, Jesus. Hmm. Then there's those who are Jairus' daughter going to stay. Now, where we have this, as we go into our lesson, Mark chapter 5 says this. While Jesus was still speaking, verse 35, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I just have a question for you. When you uh, are dealing with the distress in your life and you cry out to God for help and God doesn't seem to answer in your time, what do you do? You get You're mad. Yep. What else? Depressed. If you're depressed, if it's overwhelming, yes, those are all very true. 
Anything else? Keep praying. Yes, stay with Jesus. Keep there. How many of us begin to think, well, he must not want to heal me. How many of us kind of throw up our hands and say, well, I guess I'm done with praying because, you know, obviously God doesn't want to do something for me, so why bother him anymore? We have to wait on him, right? Is it God's timing, not mine? How important it is for us to stay with Jesus when he's not working in a way that makes sense to us or fits our timing. Don't you think for just a minute, when's the last time you were in distress? Did God act in a way that didn't make sense to you? And did God act in his timing rather than yours? Some of you, the answer was yes to both. <laughs> and what's so important for us in the middle of those times is to remember two things. One I've already read to the Bible class on Tuesday, but I think it's worth reading again. Thus, this is going to happen. One is that we want to remember who God is. Remember last week when we did the Jesus stilling the storm? And then, who is this? I have a picture of my dog on the screen. Who is oh, yeah. this? He's my sandwich thief. <laughs> and who is this? Okay. Who is this Jesus? He's the God who cares. Okay. And what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Jesus says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. Cast your anxiety on me because I care for you. Don't stop casting your anxiety on me because I care for you. Jesus, remember that little thing I taught you a week or two ago? The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. Mm -hmm. It'd be good for you to kind of remember that, rehearse that. The Lord is my strength. How many of you, in the middle of the difficulties and distress, seek to try harder yourself? Yeah, that makes you normal and broken and desperately in need of a savior. Mm -hmm. Because last time I checked, our strength is pretty puny. Although we're, we're we think much of ourselves, so at least we think well of ourselves. <laughs> However, we don't have the strength. The Lord is my strength. He's my shield. My heart trusts in him. That's why I can do like these people did. Turn to Jesus. Stay with Jesus when he's not making sense. This is a quote I wanted to give you from Alexander, I think it is. I think it's Andrew or Alexander Schmidt. There it is. Alexander Schmidt. Here's a man suffering on his bed of pain. So you think of the woman, Adam, driving his daughter. And the church comes to him to perform the sacrament of healing. For this man, as for every person in the whole world, suffering can be the defeat, the way of a complete surrender to darkness, despair, and solitude. It can be dying in the very real sense of the word. And yet it can also be, also be the ultimate victory of a person and of life in that person. The church does not come to restore health in this man, simply to replace medicine when medicine has exhausted its own possibilities. The church comes to take this man into the love, the life, and the life of Christ. It comes not merely to comfort him in his sufferings, not merely to help him, but to make him a martyr, which a martyr is a witness to Christ in his very suffering. 
A martyr is one who beholds the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, like Stephen said in Acts 7. Mm -hmm. A martyr is one for whom God is not another and the last chance to stop awful pain. God is his very life. And thus everything in his life comes to God, ascends to the fullness of life. So what I'd like you to think about, first off, is in the middle of your pain, when God's not acting in a time that makes sense or in a way that makes sense, first remember, who is God? He is gracious and compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's what, that's what he is. That's how he describes himself. He is compassionate, gracious. Isn't that an illustration I like to give you? Okay? You drive 100 miles an hour down your street in front of your house, which is only a 20 to 30 mile an hour zone. And you get pulled over. And the policeman doesn't give you a ticket. That's mercy. Mm -hmm. And when he says, you're the tenth person I've caught today. Here's a million dollars. That's grace. So God is merciful, not giving you what you deserve, and grace because He gives you exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ask or imagine. Ephesians three. God gives you exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. His grace. Will I remember that God is a gracious God in the midst of my distress? And he gives me grace, not so that everything goes my way all the time in a way that makes me happy so I can stay in control. Although that's what I want every single day. Does that make sense? Because if you ask me to repeat it, I can't. <laughs> I want everything to go my way so that I stay in control. And if I ask you, do you like things to go your way? You all should say yes, because yes. you do. Yeah. If you like control, you all should say yes, because we all like to be in control. Okay? And so if that's true of us, Jesus says, hey, by the way, you're not very good at being in control. Mm. You don't have that strength. You don't have that ability. But I do. And oh, by the way, I've made you mine. I've called you by name to make you mine so that you might be my witnesses. Hmm. Whether life goes really well or really poorly, you're my witnesses. Pointing <clears throat> to the hope you have, not in everything going your way today, but one day, new heavens, new earth, you and I will live and reign with Jesus. And we will celebrate with our cheating brothers and sisters every day in public. See, sometimes the brothers and sisters who are pretty cheeky are kind of hard to celebrate with. <laughs> but we're still called to because last time I checked, when you look in the mirror, you know what's looking back at you? You? A sheep. <laughs> and you say, I'm not near as bad as they are. Watch out. Remember the little sheep video? So, think about it this way. For years and years, I got this wrong. Years and years, I got this wrong. When I went to see somebody to pray for them while they were sick, I wanted simply to bring comfort to them. I wanted to pray that they would be healed. But you know what's even better? When I go with a purpose far greater than our physical health, which is mm. how can I encourage you and equip you and, and help you to walk as a powerful witness for Jesus? I had the pleasure of doing with Barbara Johnston this last week. Because hmm. you know, I can't ever tell Barbara, you're going to get over this and everything's going to be great. 
opportunity in the middle of your distress to live as God's witness, showing forth the hope that is ours because of Jesus, the same Jesus who raised this dead little 12-year-old girl from life from death. The same Jesus who was the firstborn from the dead so that you and I might know that one day that's going to be true of us, too. Turn to Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Return to Jesus. I can really relate to those lamentation people in that they got in trouble because they were stupid. Sometimes we have distress in our life because someone else hurts us. Some of you have gone through that. Sometimes we have trouble in our life just because we live in a troubled world. But sometimes we're like those Israelites who are now in exile. All this horrible stuff is happening because God said, if you cling to me and delight in me and walk with me as your God, then you're going to live forever. You're going to live in this promised land and delight in it. But if you turn from me and go after other gods, you're going to go to exile. And you're going to be in a world of hurt. And just like God said, they did. Mm. And we're in a world of how do you handle life when you're in a world of hurt because you are stupid? <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? You know what we generally don't believe in those moments? That he loves us. God is great in his faithfulness. That he loves us. That his mercies are new every morning. Is that what you think of the brother? Mm -mm. Don't you think? You just blow it. You say, I got a God who loves me more than I can even imagine, and he delights in me. Is that what you say? No, no, no. no I don't either. Is it the truth? Yes. yes. We've got to encouraging each other to do, don't we? Mm -hmm. We've got to help each other to continue to see the gospel in the middle of our intense failures. Tuesday morning, I read to the group about troubled conscience and a terrified conscience. A troubled conscience is one that says, oh, I messed up. We all should have a troubled conscience. Even those outside the church, even those who don't know God should have a troubled conscience because we do stupid things, bad things all the time. But you know what God wants us to have? He wants us to have a terrified conscience. Because he not only wants us to say, yep, I did what was wrong, but to say that the wages of my sin is death. death. I deserve death from a pure and holy God who hates my sin. He didn't just hate the Old Testament people's sin. He also hates my sin. He doesn't just say, oh, that's okay. That's what he says. He says, I'm going to punish Jesus for all of your sins. When Jesus died for what we deserve. You see, if I'm not terrified, then I'm just kind of troubled. And if I'm just kind of troubled, well, I think I can do something about that. So I just try harder. Are we getting clued in eventually? Because I still struggle with this. Mm. Are we getting clued in eventually that trying harder just does not work? Mm. 
You can think highly of yourself. You can talk about that some other week. <laughs> but to think that you're going to be able to manage your problems by you trying harder? I'm, I love being here because I can look and see a bunch of older people with a lot of wisdom. Let me just check. Anybody older than me here? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody here totally succeed at the trying harder and I got it all? My life is just perfect now. I didn't even have to confess my sins when I came in earlier. Nope. 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 a little higher. <laughs> Not true, huh? So therefore, trying harder is a dead end. Mm-hmm. And can we just listen to the words of Lamentations 3 one more time? I know I asked, but I'm not going to listen to your response. (laughs) The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In the middle of your running away from Jesus, running away from God, doing everything wrong, his steadfast love is right there. He, like, follows you with that love. Hmm. When you run away from him, he's right there. Think prodigal son story. The son runs away. The father is busy looking for him. You do God-awful stupid things, rejecting God, he's right after you. Isn't that what scripture says? Doesn't it say in 1 Timothy, when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. He cannot stop being who he is. A God of overwhelming love for you. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is spoken to people who are getting the consequences of their sin. And as they experience the consequences of their sin, I hope they're terrified. And I hope you don't lightly brush off your sins. But I hope the terror of your sins and what you deserve drives you back every single day to the cross of The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. Mm-hmm. When I had a chance to go visit another one of our members in the hospital this week, I had a chance to share with her. You know, when my dad dies, he's 89. He's looking forward to his 90th birthday in April. When he passes away one day, I'll get 40 acres of land in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fine. But you know what? I've got an awesome inheritance to come. Hmm. 40 acres is like 40 acres. I'm not going to farm it. (laughs) Thank God for farmers. I like to eat, but I don't want to. It's not my thing. Mm -hmm. My inheritance to come is I get to live and reign with you forever, with Jesus, new heavens, new earth forever. That's my future. That was her future, too. It is her future. That's the inheritance. The Lord is our portion. Not all this other stuff. Whatever you have doesn't compare with what you will have one day. Do you ever think about that in the middle of your distress? <laughs> because if I think about Jesus, who he is as the God who loves and cares about me, if I think about Jesus, the God who has a purpose for me outside of what I think, you know, just my own control and pleasure, if I think about Jesus and the awesome inheritance to come, if I do those things in the middle of my distress, I might use less coping mechanisms mm. that never seem to help anybody. Mm. 
about you? You know one last thing? That woman, because of her flow of blood in the book of Leviticus, she was, she was unclean. So what we have is the lepers, the um, unclean like this woman, and the dead people. They're unclean. But you know what Jesus does in, in Mark 1? He heals the leper. He says, I'm willing to be clean. Then he cleans this woman. And then he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Hmm. You see what Jesus is doing is he's undoing all the uncleanness of the world. By his great power, you know what he's doing? He's saying, look at me. And oh, by the way, I'm the one who's not only going to heal your body, I'm the one who's going to save your very life forever. Hmm. And he said it not only to those, 